to know Jesus, to know who he is, and to follow him. And this is an important duty for us. This is one of the key duties of the church, not just of parents, but of the church. If we aren't diligent about this, then who will carry on after us? After we are gone, who will carry on? And as much as we can like the way that we sing songs or the way that we do things, if it's not connecting with kids or with our youth, it won't matter eventually. If we're not passing on faith, there will be no church to pass it on to. Uh, Lately, I've been reading this book called Insanity of God. Um, It's a book written by a man who's a missionary to Africa. And after his experience there, he wanted to go and find out how does faith flourish in persecution? How does faith even survive it? And one of the first places he went to was Russia. And in Russia, uh, when the communist regime took over, one of, their, one of their goals was to stamp out Christianity. They began to view every Christian as a sympathizer with the West and viewed uh, Christianity as an enemy of the state. And so obviously they would, they would take pastors, they would kill them, they would put them in prison, they would um, even kill their families at times. And that was the extreme persecution which was pretty common, but also they would try to, they realized if they couldn't stamp out faith in the current generation, then at very least they could stamp it out in the next. And so you can imagine, imagine this, if you had kids that when they went to school that they were publicly ridiculed, that they were stood up in front of the class and uh, made fun of as Christians. Teachers constantly telling them what was wrong with their parents, telling them that their parents were evil, um, trying to condition them to reject Christianity, to reject their faith. I am convinced that as the church, passing on our faith is one of the most important things we do. And every Sunday we talk about our mission, and we talk about our mission to the community around us, but we also have missionary uh, mission work to our kids, to our families. It's one of the most important duties of the church. But how do we do this, right? How do we connect with younger people, especially if there's a generation or two between us. For parents, this becomes, um, this is part of our role. It's a little bit easier as our kids are next to us all the time. Maybe easier is not the right word, but at the very least, our kids are with us, and so we have an opportunity to influence them a lot. But how do we do this as a congregation? How How does it work for us? Because I believe that as a church, we are commissioned to grow the faith of our youth. Not just parents, but as a church, and I'll get more into that. Some of you might, I know some of you are asking these same questions too. Some of you have a deep-seated desire to see kids of our church come to know Jesus. And some of you are asking questions of how. Where do we start? Or what do we do differently? How do we connect? Maybe some are even asking, whose job is this? I think the assumption that we often have is it's parents' job to raise their kids in faith. Well, I think we find some help in Scripture. And if you would, open up your bulletins. The passage is in there. Or if you'd like to open up to Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 12. Let's read this together. 
These are the commands. Oh, excuse me, let me just give a little bit of background. So this is Moses speaking to the people of God on the opposite side of the Jordan, just before they're ready to enter the land. And he says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord our God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of, our, of your fathers, promised you. Now this is the po- part I want us to, to focus in on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let's pray that we would hear God's word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. Help us to hear this text, especially in light of encouraging our kids in faith. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. This is a commissioning text. And as I'm reading this text, I'm hearing that we are commissioned. And at first I hear this as an obvious word to parents. Obviously we think when it says, impress this upon your children, we think of our kids. I do at least. And it's pretty natural for us as parents. And I would say as parents, it is primarily up to us to encourage our kids in faith. For us to model it in front of them, to live faithfully, to show them what faith looks like day in, day out and to teach them, to speak with them about who Jesus is, even things that maybe they might not implicitly pick up from the way we live. It's interesting, I was uh, speaking along these same lines at family camp this last summer at Covenant Bay uh, in Alberta, and talking with parents, and one of the things that was most encouraging for me was how influential we are as parents. I see it when, you know, my, my oldest son, Corbett, is nine. And I can see how I still have lots of influence with him. But I also have this perception of this idea that after about 13 or 14, our influence basically drops off. <laughs> that our kids like everybody else's ideas but ours. And it seems like it continues on uh, until they get into their 20s often, sometimes in their 30s before uh, kids seem to again, or at least from my own experience, begin to listen to my parents again. It's interesting, though, as I was reading and and researching this, is that actually they've done studies that even though kids may say that they don't really, or they may say to us, they don't like what we have to say or they're not interested in what we might want to teach them, the study found that still, even for teenagers, their parents were their most influential people. Sometimes they're most influential because they are the person that they most um, desperately want to rebel against. But still, we have influence. 
and for us to never abdicate our rule, for us to never give up this influence that we have. Because kids, they want our approval. I just turned 40 this year, and I tell you, I still value the approval of my mom. When she says, uh, good job, Jason, I'm proud of you, it still matters to me. (laughs) Even though it might drive my wife crazy. (laughs) But this influence that we have is based on relationship. Um, Having relationship with our kids is the most important way that we have good influence on them. It's when our relationship, or when we neglect our relationship with our kids, that then our influence almost turns like uh, flip-flops in that um, we try to say, you should do this, and if our relationship is bad, they might try to do exactly the opposite. But if we're working at our relationship with them, we will have this influence. Not that we can ever dictate their lives, nor should we, but we can still have influence, whether our kids are four years old or 40 years old. And influence, excuse me, uh, influence begins with a relationship, and relationship is based on time. Quantity and quality of time that we spend with our kids. It's important. And we're going to talk some more about this in the coming weeks. But I want to encourage us as a church to start right now. Whether we have a six-year-old like I do, or if our kids are in their 50s, to continue encouraging them in faith. To continue praying for them, obviously, looking for opportunities to talk with them about life and meaning. And I understand, too, as kids grow, uh, my nine-year-old son, Corbin, and Shalem, I'm still their hero. And all I had to do was show up. I didn't have to do anything that heroic. I'm just their dad. I'm still their hero. And I realize as I get older, it's going to become more complicated. And maybe some of you have uh, teens. Well, a few of you have teens. Many of you have adult children. And it is more complicated to encourage them in faith. I can think about times when my mom, uh, even the last uh, decade or two, has tried to tell me what I should do. <laughs> and there are times when I try to listen, and there are sometimes when I don't. So it is complicated. I acknowledge that. But it's still important for us to encourage our kids in faith. It's interesting, though. Obviously, there's, you know, it talks about children, so we can assume parents. But when you look at this text, Moses isn't teaching a parent seminar here. He didn't say, okay, I'd like to gather all the parents over to one side because I've got a few things I'd like to say to you. Speaking to the whole community, the whole people of God. And it's interesting because we hear and say, uh, Your children, press us upon your children. And our immediate assumption, given the world that we live in, the culture we live in, we can think parents and children. We tend to think nuclear family mom and dad and kids, that's, that's their kids. But I can't help but hear him say, Your children, speaking to the whole community that the kids of this church family, they have a bio, like for example, my sons, Corbin and Sham, they have a biological connection to Tracy and I. But I also see them, or I am beginning to see them more clearly as all of our children. 
And it's true, Tracy and I have the most responsibility for encouraging them in faith, but realizing uh, this week as I've been studying this that you, our church family, have a responsibility too. I think it's important for us to see beyond, uh, to see the kids of our church, not just as the Ringheims or the Bernhards or the Hansels or the Dickiesons, but these are our kids too. That we all have a role. And there's times too, I know, we can think of like the, the reasons why it would be difficult. Common things that I hear when we talk with people about um, children's ministry is, I'm too old, Jason. Or, I've done my time in that. I did that a long time ago when my kids were little. Or, I feel like I'm too busy. I'm not sure I can uh, squeeze that in. And I have to say, those are, those are real things. But we still have a responsibility. It's interesting, and many of you have heard this, but in African cultures, in Swahili, for example, they say that it takes a village to raise a child. It's a really common phrase that gets overused in our culture. <clears throat> but there's truth to it. And I would say as Covenant Church, as the Balfour Covenant Church, I'd love if we had a saying that it takes a church to raise a child in faith. Parents obviously have uh, like a huge uh, part of that responsibility, but so do we as the rest of the church. So as we've been speaking, we've been talking some about the breadth of this commission, that parents and the church have responsibility. You see how broad it is, how it includes all of us in this. But I also see this, there's depth in this commission as well. Moses isn't just addressing the who, but also addressing how, how we go about this. And it starts with this huge passage. Don't try to read it. It just says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But I want us to focus in on this, this part right here, verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> he says, These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The first thing I point out is that if you see right here, it says, um, right here, it says, impress them on your children. That's a directive. That's in command. He doesn't say, you know, if you can, think, if you, it'd be really great if you would consider impressing it upon them. Or, or if you have time, <clears throat> if you can squeeze it in, it would be so wonderful if you could maybe impress a bit on them. It's directive. It's responsibility. Impress it upon your children. Moses is not suggesting he is commanding here, speaking to the people of God. The also thing I realize too as I'm looking at this is that um, impress um, can have the connotation of press upon or force into I think about impressing something. You take one thing and you press it into it and form it in it. But actually, as I was looking at the word behind that, the Hebrew word is uh, shanan. Um, and it has this idea, or this, this um, connotation of repetition, like sharpening a knife or honing a blade. And I was thinking some about that, how that image, I think, is better. 
Because when you're honing a stone, it's one, it's a slow process. It's not something you force into the knife. It's something you work along the blade. And depending on the blade, I mean, there are certain types of blades. There are some that are used um, for small tasks, some that are used for large. <clears throat> some blades are curved, some are straight, some are hooked. But you hone those blades. It's a similar process, but each blade requires different honing. And you work with the blade. You don't just throw it up to a wheel grinder and see what comes. It's talking about honing. And it's a process. <clears throat> I think about this as a way of us relating to kids. It's true, the faith, in one sense, it is common. And there is uh, parts about it that are not um, subjective to who we are or what our preferences are. But the way we talk with kids some kids, they love the direct approach. Some kids, they want to be shown. Some kids, they want to be taught. And it's for us, if we want to be effective, if we want to help them know Jesus, it's good for us to work along the blade, to work with the kind of person that these young people are. So I see this, um, this idea of working with kids, of honing them like a blade. But also he says... Uh, Impress upon your children, talk about them, about these commands when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Work faith or conversations about faith into your everyday life. I, I don't know how it went for many of you when you were raising your kids, but I find that when I say, boys, uh, I'd like you to sit down for about half an hour, I've got a lecture I want to give you. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, no thanks, Dad. <laughs> but when I'm talking with the boys when we're eating breakfast, and I do it purposely then, ask them about their day, ask them what I can pray for them, how we can pray. We talk about faith. Or when we're out working in the garage, or when we're walking along the road, working these conversations into life. It takes some creativity, you're right, and it's not easy, or at least not for everybody, but work faith into our lives, that our kids see it, that it's not just some idea that we believe, but it's a faith that affects our lives, that changes the way we live. And that's the other thing I realize about this. When he says, when in Hebrew, when they say, when you, when, you, um, when you sit down at home, and then when you walk along the road, they mean when you do those two things and everything else in between. This is a Hebrew way of saying all of life. Or when they say, when you lie down and when you get up, the implicit or the implied message here is do it when you, when you lie down, when you wake up, and all the way in between. So they're talking about make it your whole life. That we don't just proclaim or profess this faith, though that's good, that we actually live it. I can't tell you how many people when I talk about faith, whether they're adults or teens even, is when I, if there's someone who has a trouble with Christianity or with faith, one of, their, one of the chief, um, um, most prevalent um, criticisms I hear is hypocrisy. People who say, you know, my parents, I had to go to church every Sunday and then I go home and I can see like how my dad, the way he treated my mom or the way my parents did things in our community, it just wasn't right. So no thanks. 
Or I saw, I went to church every Sunday and it's supposed to be this place of love and grace and all I ever got was shushed by people. Or dirty looks because I was a, a squirrely kid. It matters how we walk. It matters how we live. One of the things that is, um, one of the sh- most surefire ways to kill faith in a young person is to preach at them and then not live it. So it's important for us as a church to live this faith out every day. Even when we think nobody's watching. Because trust me, word gets around. We live in a small community. And kids see the way that we treat them even here on Sunday morning. Hypocrisy kills young faith. So let us live faithfully. Teaching our kids, it's up to us. Not entirely up to us. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit who does things even when we totally blow it. Thank God that the Holy Spirit still works in kids and draws them. We've seen kids who've come here despite their parents. The only time their parents come is when their child is leading something. But we see kids who've grown faithfully in faith. That's true, but that's a small percentage. That's the long shot. It's important for us to encourage our kids. And this is something that we can't outsource. We can't hire somebody to disciple our kids for us. We can hire somebody, like churches often do with youth pastors. You can absolutely hire someone who is focused, who is called, who is gifted at connecting with kids, and they can supplement in huge ways uh, children growing in faith. But we can't abdicate our role. We can't rely on a paid staff person to do what we as a parents and we as a church have been commissioned to do. It's up to all of us. Now for parents, we have a, in one sense, um, well not in one sense, in, in a very real sense, we have more connection with kids. I spend hours with my sons all the time, every week more than any of you have the opportunity to share time with them. So obviously I have more responsibility to encourage my boys in faith. But there are ways that you, that we as a church, can encourage kids that aren't in our own home. And these are obvious ways. Like one of them is we can pray for kids. That as a church, whether you're in your 30s and you have little ones, or in your 70s and you have little grandchildren, we can pray for the kids of our church. We can pray for our children. We can pray for the parents. Please pray for us as we raise kids. Prayer is important. That's something we can do regardless of how old we are or how little contact we feel like we have with kids. Another thing we can do is talk to kids. On Sunday morning, when we gather here, make a point to ask youth how they're doing. Talk with them. It's easy. <laughs> how are you doing? How was school this week? How's life going? And, you know, you might get those monosyllabic response. Don't be uh, discouraged by that. You know, how was school this week? Fine. <laughs> right? What did you learn? Nothing. 
How's life? Good. Okay, good talk. Great. Don't be discouraged by that. Just speaking to kids. Even if all they say is fine, good, nope. If you end with, well, I'm glad that you're here this morning. To let them know that we care about them and we value them. That we desire to see them grow in faith. That's meaningful to kids. So talk to them. Another one is encourage. And maybe the conversation doesn't last very long. All you can say, maybe it just comes down to you thinking of something you can encourage them. I'm glad to see you here. Bless you. It's a great step for you. This will help you in faith. Something that simple. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, uh, Jack stood up. I don't know, is Jack? I don't see him right now. Oh, there he is. <laughs> hey, Jack. Uh, stood up and, and said he just wanted to say how grateful he was to the Dickinson's boys, to Jonathan and Andrew for coming and helping him with the tree, uh, split up a tree in his yard. To encourage our kids, to let them know that we value them. Other thing we can do is teach. Even if it's just a little bit. Saying, you know what, it's been years since I've helped with Sunday school. But I can do a couple Sundays here and there. I was thinking about it, I was dreaming about it this morning. Imagine if that was the culture of our church. That all of us, me included, took a turn in Sunday school. A good idea. I know the Susan and Mary Beth, that are Sunday school coordinators. Too bad they're not here this morning. They're with their families, but I know they would be jumping out of their seats right now. You know, and oftentimes we think, oh, you know what, Jason? Uh, this, these, are the, these are the things I've heard. I, I've done my time. I did my time, so no thank you. Or I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm too old. I can't relate to the kids anymore. Or I'm too busy. Or I just flat out don't want to. Imagine if we had a culture in our church where we valued our kids so much that all of us took a, took a turn. I can tell you, I would, as a parent, I would love that for my sons. Even if it was simple lessons and all they heard was how you became a Christian or how God spoke to you at one point in your life. I would love it. So if you're thinking, like, I'm not sure what I can do, one of the ways you can do is just helping out like teaching Sunday school or helping out with things like Beyond the Bell, coming to kids' camp, just being present. I would love it. I mean, most of our um, families here, I think, well, except for the Dickiesons, most of us are here without grandparents, without, uh, our kids are here without their grandparents. They don't have a lot of that, that interaction. I would love that from our church. These are tangible ways that we can help, that we can teach our kids, pass along faith. It takes a church to raise a child in faith. And I know it's daunting. I know this. For those of you who are parents, um, especially if your kids are adults, it can be daunting. You know, I, Jason, I talk to my kids maybe once a month. How do I encourage them in faith? Or I've tried that and it's hard. I remember when they were teens and how difficult it was. All I can say is that it's still up to us. Nobody else is going to do it for us. So even if it is that one call a month, 
Even if it is, the only time we see them is at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, that we still try to encourage them in faith. Now, I want to warn you, too, because kids pick it up pretty quick when it feels like pressure, when it feels like we're trying to force something on them. And probably not a good idea. Passive-aggressive, trying to trick them into coming to church with you on Christmas Eve or something like that, not good. But to ask them about life and meaning, to share your own experience unapologetically, this is how God has been at work in my life. That's meaningful to our kids. Like I said, we are they're still their greatest influence, even though they may never admit it. Those are the kind of conversations that are helpful. So it's up to us just to start or to continue, to keep doing the best we can, to continue praying for them. Holy Spirit, please do something miraculous in them. And for those of you who still have kids in your house, to don't let the time go by to keep talking with them and encouraging them. To help them see who Jesus is. Partly by our own walk, but partly by encouraging them. This morning as I'm reading this text, I'm realizing that we are commissioned. You see the breadth of it, that it's parents we have this commission, this responsibility, but also as a church for our kids. And also see the depth too, talking about sharpening our kids like a stone. Oh, sorry, uh, like a blade. How we work that into our entire life, our everyday life, and how it includes all of our lives. So we don't just have Sunday morning, you know, we're really Christian and the rest of the week we just do whatever. But it works through our whole life. It's consistent. They can't someday look and say, you know what, my parents were hypocrites or people in our church were hypocrites. That we live faithfully because it's up to us. As a church, we must disciple our kids. So this week, I'd like you to respond with... um, Did you want to go? I saw your hand. Uh, Respond uh, to God's Word this week. Read this passage again. Reflect on it, especially as a church, how we disciple our kids. And then find one way to encourage one of the youth of our church in this next week, whether it's throughout the week when you see him, or next Sunday when you get here, or even today as they're getting ready to go. Encourage our kids. Uh, Let them know that you are behind them and that you want to see them grow in faith.